listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor David Sinclair. Let's prepare our hearts uh, to meet with Jesus. Let me read the scripture this morning taken from Matthew chapter 1. We're going to begin reading at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her um, to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You know, sometimes when I read the Bible, it makes me a little bit uneasy. And I think I feel that way because uh, I read stories like this. Uh, And I see that God has no problem asking his people to do things that, let's face it, are sometimes crazy, uh, a bit far-fetched, pretty hard to explain to your friends and family. No problem asking people to do these things. And he expects his people to simply obey by faith. I mean, think of Noah. Uh, we get so used to the Bible stories, but, but if you really put yourself in, in some of these people's shoes, you can understand how hard some of these decisions must have been. God comes to Noah and says, Noah, I want you to, to build an ark. Of course, he had no idea what an ark was or what rain was, for that matter. And he's living in the desert. And this isn't a small project that Noah's going to embark on. It's probably going to take him over 100 years. And you can imagine the kind of questions that came to Noah from the people around. You know, what are you doing with all that wood, Noah? Uh, Building an ark. What's that? Well, it's actually a huge boat. Okay. Why are you doing that? Well, God told me to. Who, you know, why would God tell you to do that? Well, it's it's because there's going to be a lot of water, see? And they're looking around and they're like, goodness sakes, what's happened to Noah? You know, he's lost his mind. And, and they come to the final question, well, why is there going to be a lot of water? And Noah kind of says, well, to kill you, you know? I mean, it's really, really hard, hard questions, hard things to explain. I mean, look at the story of Abraham. Uh, Abraham is, is, this, is this man that, that God comes to and says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I want you to go to the land I will show you. Just go. And Abraham's like, okay, go, go where? 
And he says, just, just go. I'll show you. Like, you're going to show me now? Or when are you going to show me? Just start going and I'll show you. So it's just trust. Go by faith. I mean, what would your neighbors think if you were loading up a U-Haul and they come over and they say, hey, you know, I didn't know you guys were moving. Uh, where are you going? And you're like, I don't know. Just going. They'd be like, wow. You know, and they kind of go home like, man, those people lost it. Um, and then, of course, God comes to Abraham later in life. And I imagine he's a little gun shy. And, and God says, uh, Abraham, and he says, yes, God, you know, uh, and Ab- God has given Abraham the son that he promised him, Isaac. And he says, you know that son? Yes. The, the son that you love? Yeah. What about him? I-, I want you to go sacrifice him to me on that mountain. Abraham's like, God, you know, I- I'm not getting a lot of sleep lately. Uh, I-, I thought, you know, the craziest thing, I thought maybe you said to sacrifice the son that you gave me up on that mountain. Is that-, that can't be what you said, right? Yeah, that's exactly what I said. I just, if I were Abraham, I'd been like, you know what, why don't you just kill both of us right now? Because if I go do that, when I get back, Sarah's going to kill me anyway. You know, that's just not going to make sense to her that I, I went and did something. She's not going to believe me that you told me to do this. And the scriptures are filled with these kinds of stories where God makes an unusual request that expects his people to walk that request out by faith. And when I come to these kinds of stories, I always wonder, would I have the faith to do what these people did. But I have the faith to obey when it makes very little sense to me. Now, I'm, I'm a person that really likes a good plan. I don't know if you're like that. I like logical things. I like things that make sense. And I have a hard time moving forward if it doesn't make sense to me. Um, I have a hard time carrying out something. If I'm like, I don't see how this is going to turn out good in the end. And yet, God asks us that. Uh, God asked his people that several times throughout the scriptures. So what about you? What would you do if God asked you to do something that on the, on the outside looked like, this is going to be a disaster. Uh, this is going to be hard to explain. This is probably going to create some mess in my life. Something that you knew is going to be talked about at the family reunion, you know? Did you hear what so-and-so is doing? Is that crazy or what? Would you have the faith to do it. Because here's the deal, friends. Sometimes God will ask us to do these kinds of things, and it takes great faith in those circumstances to obey. Here we are in our second week of Advent. Uh, Pastor Bill preached on hope last week, and we lit this candle of hope. And in some traditions, the second candle is the Bethlehem candle, and it stands for faith. And Jeannie has so beautifully decorated it and, and laid it out. And in the Christmas narrative, you don't have to look far to find examples of extraordinary faith. Um, Mary specifically is praised every year for her incredible acts of faith, being a teenager and being entrusted to carry God's own son and, and give birth to him and raise him. What a wonderful act of faith. Today I want to focus on the story from someone else's perspective, someone who gets a little bit less attention, and that is Mary's husband and Jesus' adoptive father, Joseph. I want to look at his perspective today with you for a few minutes. Now being 2,000 years removed from the story, It's pretty easy for us to kind of gloss over it and just think that this event was as wonderful back then as it is for us today. You know, we just see nothing but joy to the world and and expect that this this event was celebrated back then the way it was today. But I would contend that for Joseph, this was very hard for him to see Jesus' birth as the gift that we see it as. In fact, I think for him it was more of a social and cultural nightmare. 
me. Just imagine it with me. Uh, Joseph's this Jewish carpenter. He's a young guy. Mary and Joseph were probably in their teens. And uh, he's just coming into his trade. He's working hard. He's a blue-collar guy. And, and you know how blue-collar guys are. They, they don't have too many words in a day. He's a simple guy. Doesn't talk a lot. He's just an honest guy earning an honest wage and working really hard right now because our text tells us that Joseph is betrothed to Mary. And a lot of times we want to make betrothal just like engagement. But betrothal in the Hebrew culture was actually a lot more serious and binding and legal than just popping the question and putting a ring on a girl's finger. I mean, this was a big deal. Uh, it was very serious. The families would come together. There was a dowry that was to be paid, lots of finances and, and things to be negotiated and agreed upon. And that was the betrothal stage when they said, okay, here's the conditions of this marriage. And finally, they would be set. And in some ways, betrothal was like marriage. Um, the two people still lived apart, and their sexual relations were forbidden during betrothal in the Hebrew, Hebrew culture. But if one or the other of them wanted to get out of the betrothal, they had to get a divorce. That's why our text uses the term divorce. You think, well, I mean, it was, it was bigger than just calling the caterers. Uh, it was bigger than just, than just canceling the, you know, just sending out something behind the save the date saying, well, don't save the date anymore. Wedding's off. Uh, it, was, it was a big deal that needed a legal proceeding to end it. Um, in the same way, if one or the other people in the betrothal were sexual with someone else, unfaithful to the, the other person in the betrothal, um, it was considered adultery and punishable by death. Now, um, of course, when God gave the Hebrew law that adultery was punishable by death, uh, that was in, in the book of Deuteronomy. This was not practiced so much around the turn of the first, or around first century A.D., but it was still a possibility. This was really a serious relationship that Mary and Joseph were in. Um, big consequences if you messed up. And if you wanted out of it, it was going to take a legal document. It's the scenario we find Mary and Joseph in. Joseph's working hard, probably trying to earn some less money to pay off the dowry so he can finally take Mary to be his wife. And then, as Matthew records it, one day, Mary is found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that Mary was with child from the Holy Spirit. Matthew knew that as he recorded it. But Joseph didn't know that. Joseph probably assumed that Mary was with child the way every other woman in the history of the world was with child. And he had nothing to do with it. It's a tough day. This is a bad day. I would imagine that when Joseph found out about Mary's pregnancy, it was the worst day of his life. Hands down. The worst day of his life. And we don't know how Joseph found out about it. Matthew doesn't tell us. Neither does Luke. Um, we know that Mary's about three months pregnant at this time. Because she, she, Luke tells us in his gospel that she had gone away to her relative Elizabeth's house and they had celebrated. And of course, Elizabeth had been barren and now she's pregnant with John the Baptist. And so there's all this wonderful stuff going on. But after three months, she comes back and now Joseph's going to find out. So maybe she's sick, physically sick, throwing up. Um, maybe she's starting to show a little bit. We don't know exactly how he found out, but I picture is the couple went out for dinner maybe one night for some lamb chops. And maybe, she's, maybe she doesn't want to eat her favorite food. Because you know when you get pregnant, you don't want to eat anything that you used to eat. Because uh, now all that stuff just smells horrible. Even the, the smell of your favorite food is just terrible. And uh, so they're at the restaurant, and Mary's just acting really funny. 
And Joseph's just kind of like, what's going on? You know, I ordered her favorite food, her favorite place. You know, I got all dressed up and, and just, just, just not, you know, maybe he's thinking we're going to talk about wedding plans and he just can't get anything out of her. And finally he says, babe, or, you know, whatever they called each other back then, <laughs> you know, boo or honey or sweetheart, whatever it is. He says, what's, you know, what's going on? You're just not acting like yourself. And she says what probably every woman in the history of the world has ever said to that question, which is, oh, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. Because she wants him to draw it out of her, right? She wants him to, to press her for it. And so, of course, he does. He says, no, come on, babe, tell me. What's, what's going on? You know, you're acting funny, and, and I just can tell something's wrong. Does something happen with Elizabeth, or what's, what's happening? She's like, no, it's nothing with Elizabeth. And, uh, and, and finally, she says, look, I just can't tell you, because there's no way you're going to believe me. There's no way you're going to. You're not going to understand. He goes, of course I'm going to believe you. I'm about to be your husband. Of course I'm going to believe you. She said, well, I'll just say it then. I'm pregnant. You know, and at that moment, I can just imagine the color just starts draining out of Joseph's face. You know, his, his calloused hands begin to sweat and his heart begins to pound and all this, this house of cards that is his life begins to fall down in his mind and it's just like, he starts to pant. It goes into shock like, what? You're What? pregnant? And she says, I know, I know, I knew you would react that way, but listen, it's not the way you think it is. There's no one else. I didn't do anything with anyone else. And, and I don't know if Joseph's really hearing her, but he, now he's insulted. He's like, what do you mean? Okay, how stupid do you think I am? I mean, I was born at night, but not last night. How in the world am I supposed to believe that you're pregnant and nothing happened with anyone else? I imagine at this point, Mary begins to cry. And under her tears, she says, it was God. It was God. Of course, by that time, supper's over. If it ever got finished at all. And I picture that Joseph went home mad. Really mad. Is there anything can make a righteous Jewish man more mad than finding out this woman that he... uh, is working so hard to, to bring her to be his wife, he finds out that she's pregnant with someone else's child. And that's a really bad day. I can't imagine many more things making the day worse. And we find out that it really did impact Joseph a lot because the text tells us he went and started quietly planning for a divorce. This thing was going to be over. He had made up his mind about the truth in this scenario. But something tempered Joseph in the midst of his jealousy and anger And he really did care for Mary. I mean, he could have made this thing a public thing. Boy, he could have shamed her. He could have, it it could have even cost Mary her life. But something tempered him. Something said, no, you need to be kind in this. You need to keep this quiet. And so he planned, as the text tells us, to divorce her quietly. I mean, he still didn't want to go through with a marriage that was built on adultery. And in some cases in the Hebrew culture, Divorce was not an option when there was adultery. It was mandatory because it, it made the relationship unclean, made it impure, so it had to happen. Of course, uh, when God first gave the law to Moses, you didn't have to think about whether or not you, get, you were getting divorced because that person was executed. So this is a serious, serious thing, and Joseph is facing a terrible, terribly difficult decision. You know, if he, if he decided to marry her, everyone's going to think one of two things. Every, everyone's going to think either he and Mary were sexual before they were married, which carried terrible stigma in the Hebrew culture. 
Um, you'd been unfaithful to God. You, haven't, you hadn't kept your promises before God and to each other's families. But the other option is to marry someone who everyone knew had been unfaithful to you. And I would submit to you that both of these things, both of these things would shatter his reputation. On top of dealing with all these decisions, I think that Joseph was probably heartbroken. Uh, Now, I know relationships weren't like they are today back then. Uh, People got married sometimes and they didn't even know each other very well. Okay? I see that with Isaac and Rebecca. Um, And a lot of times these marriages were arranged by parents a long time before. But there's something in the text just in Joseph's care for Mary that said, at least, at the very least, he was really looking forward to being married to her. And at the very least, he was in shock at his future's abrupt change. He's grieving at least that if he wasn't in love with this woman. He's grieving that my future's on hold or on pause or it's going to look a lot different than what I thought it is. And whatever story Mary told Joseph that day, he didn't believe her and he's about to divorce her. Of course, then Matthew tells us that in the, in the nights that followed, which I imagine were sleepless and restless, Joseph gets a visitor. And this is just an, isn't just any visitor. This is an angel of the Lord that comes to him and says these very important words, Joseph, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So much in those words, right? Don't be afraid. And often in our circumstances as well, when we're about to step out and do something that takes great faith, don't be afraid of the ridicule, Joseph. Don't be afraid of the stigma. Don't be afraid of the questions, the odd looks. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And he confirms everything she's told him. This child is from the Holy Spirit. Now we go and say, oh, praise God. Now this decision is really easy for Joseph. Because he's got this great message from the angel. And he's explained everything just like the angel explained to Mary. And they're on the same page. And wonderful. But have any of the consequences really disappeared for Mary and Joseph? This, this, this honorable, righteous Jewish couple, young couple, they still got to explain this. The baby's still coming. They're still not married. And I imagine Joseph's thinking it through, and he's saying, well, what am I going to say to the guys at work? You know how carpenters are. You know? They're going to ask questions. You know how they are. Dwight's sitting back there laughing. You know, they're, they're going to ask questions. Um. And he's thinking, well, maybe I'll just tell him the truth. I'll just say, look, guys, it's not how you think. Mary's actually still a virgin. And they're going to go, your wife, the pregnant one, she's still a virgin? Listen, Joseph, did your parents ever sit you down around your bar mitzvah and talk to you about this, about how, where babies come from? Did they ever do that? Because I don't know if you get it, man. This doesn't just happen, you know. Uh, and, and he's in a mess, right? I mean, that's the bottom line. Joseph's in a mess. He's still got to explain this. This is still going to look weird. How is he supposed to go into the synagogue? There's all these questions. There are all these, uh, you know, what are the religious leaders going to say? Not everybody's just buying into this. There were no gospels to read back then. Friends, sometimes God will ask you to do some things that are crazy. Some things that are really hard to explain. Some things that will make your life a mess. And in those circumstances, it takes great faith to obey him. Now, what is faith exactly as it's used in the scriptures and specifically the New Testament? Well, the Greek word over and over that's used is pistis, which one of the, the, the basic meanings of this word is trust. 
It means trust, and specifically, trust in God. So when you think of having faith, just think of, do I trust God? And Joseph and Mary had enough trust in God that they could risk losing their reputation. They could risk losing their identity. They could risk all the stigma and ridicule that would come with that. And in the end, they could just say, okay, if this is what you want. We, we can see how all this is going to look, and it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good for us here. This is not going to, nobody's going to understand this. There's going to be lots of questions, and we can see that coming. But we trust you. If this is your plan, then okay. It's exactly what Mary says in Luke's gospel. When the angel comes to her, she says, I'm your servant. Let it be as you said. I'm wondering today if we possess that kind of faith in our God. You know, I'm curious what you would say if God, if you knew God came to you and told you to do something that would cost you at this level, that would carry this kind of social uh, stigma, this kind of a, a, a cultural no-no. What would you say? Would you trust God enough to face the questions, the the odd looks, the, the stigma, the um, maybe being ostracized for it? Would you trust him enough? Now, uh, what I'm certainly not saying here this morning is that whenever God asks you to do something, it's always crazy. Because there is a pocket of Christianity that, that really thinks that. That, you know, every time God comes to you, he's going to ask you to do the wild, crazy thing that never makes any sense. And if it doesn't have any wisdom in it, it's automatically from God. And I think exactly the opposite of that, Okay. I think the vast majority of the things that God asks us to do, uh, he wants us to do with wisdom. He wants us to do with great consideration. He wants us to use logic. He's a, he's a God that, that designed us that way, right? He gave us all those faculties. So, so this isn't saying check your brains at the door. It's saying at some point, the, 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 the time may come where God asks you to lay those things down because he's asking you to trust a plan that is higher than yours that sees beyond your plans, that flies above uh, human thought and logic. And we can see that looking back, how all this made sense, but in Joseph and Mary's life, certainly wasn't looking like it was going to turn out good. Certainly wasn't that crystal clear for them. You know, sometimes I, I get worried personally, on a personal level, that God is actually asking us to do more of these kinds of big faith things. When I read the scriptures, I'd, I just see there's a lot of stuff in there about following God with faith, and, and Jesus makes a lot of radical claims on our lives. And I get worried that sometimes maybe the, the Holy Spirit is speaking these things to me more regularly, but I'm just not hearing it. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, I just can't hear that. And so I suppress it because comfort is a bigger God to me than the real God. I get worried about that stuff. You know, that I just can't maybe picture my life getting harder and more difficult and filled with struggle. And so maybe it's just easier to, tr- to just suppress the voice of the Holy Spirit in those circumstances. I, do, I don't want to let go of the life that I had planned out in my mind. Of course, you know, entire churches can, can do this too, honestly. Uh, and I think that the church in America is in this place 
um, and life churches there with the, the, the church in America that this is really uh, something that we can work on. For all the wonderful things uh, that I love about this church, uh, we are still a church that loves the safe play. I mean, that would be my assessment. And I know that because I'm part of you. I'm part of this church, and I love the safe play. I love when things make sense. I love when things are comfortable. Um, I love when things uh, line up, and I can kind of s- progress them out and see that this is going to turn out good for me. But I wonder if God is asking us, in some cases, to lay that down. And sometimes I, I try to imagine, like, God, what would you do with Life Church uh, if we really grew in this area of faith and trust in you? What could you do in this community? What could you do in this city? What could you do in this nation, in this world, if there was literally nothing that God couldn't ask of us? There's nothing that, if he comes to us and says, look, this is what I'm asking you to do, and, I'm, and he doesn't explain it all the time. He doesn't explain it all and, and make it, you know, show you how it's all going to work out in the end. But he, he comes, and you know he's asking you to do it, and doesn't answer all the questions, but you say, okay, yes. You know, hands off. My hands are off my life. What if we were a church like that? What, were we, what, what if we were a group of believers that God could literally ask anything of? And our lives aren't so tightly wrapped around, our, our hands aren't so tightly, tightly wrapped around our lives that we could say yes. That we could go with whatever idea God had in mind and not dogmatically stick to our idea of what we have for our lives. That's why I admire Joseph and Mary so much as examples of faith here because, you know, they didn't say, God, we'll obey you as long as you explain this to everybody. We'll, we'll obey you as long as you uh, make sure to clean up our reputation in the end, which, of course, he did 2,000 years ago. We're still talking about him. They didn't put any conditions on it. Both of them just said, basically, okay. No, no great, big, grandiose speeches, but they just said, okay, if this is what you want, then okay. Probably wasn't their idea, but they took their lives, or they took their hands off their lives, and they trusted God that he was at work, and that, my friends, is faith. That's faith. That's what we're after at, as Life Church here in Advent. As we wait for our Lord Jesus, we're saying, God, make us people of faith. It's so easy in this culture to, to just live by what we know. So easy in this culture to just live as people that, that want to have our plan all figured out. And in America, we really feel like we can. Like we can have almost everything in our lives figured out, including how long we're going to live and how we're going to retire and how we're going to live at what stage in life. And so it's very hard for us to give up a, a, an idea of what we have of our lives. But that's faith trusting God, saying, I don't know where this is all going, but I trust you. I trust you. You've got a plan. My life is in your hands. That's faith. Perhaps the only person that better exemplified perfect faith in God uh, in the scriptures is the son that Mary and Joseph are about to have. Um, the one that the angel was talking to Joseph about, the one that he said would come and save his people from their sins, the one that was to be Emmanuel, God with us. And see, if you remember, Jesus was also given a mission that was hard to make sense of, right? I mean, God becoming a man? How does that work? Still trying to figure that out. 
Uh, and then, how does God, the immortal, die? That's, that's hard to make sense of. And then how does him, by his death and resurrection, somehow kill death and sin for us? What a strange plan. What a strange plan. You know, at, at one point in the plan, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the plan seemed to be too much for Jesus. And he asked his father, he said, can there be some other way? Can there be a way out? And maybe you, you're feeling like that today because you feel like God's asked you to do something that's too hard, that's too difficult, that's too costly, that's got too much stigma attached to it, whatever it is. It just doesn't make sense. And Jesus asked, can there be another way? You've got to bet that Joseph asked for that. <laughs> hey, can there be a way out of this? I didn't sign up for this. I'm just a carpenter. You've got to bet that Mary asked for this. She's just a teenager, teenage Jewish woman. Just mind her own business. And God breaks in on her life and, and messes it all up. And when Jesus asked for a way out, of course, the answer was no. When he asked for a different plan, another way to get God's people back, the answer was no. And he did what Mary and Joseph did. He said, okay, not my will, but your will be done. Not my plan, but your plan. He laid down his life. And friends, that is faith. He trusted his father to the ultimate degree and gave his life. That's faith. So my prayer for us this Advent, as we long for Jesus' return, as we wait for the return of our Lord, that we wouldn't do so idly, but that we do so as a big faith people, as a people of big trust in our God, that we say, we have seen your acts throughout history. We've seen how you've been faithful to your people. And so no matter what we see in our immediate surroundings, we're going to trust you. We're going to do what you've called us to do. We've seen how you've acted in Jesus Christ to save us and redeem us, and we want you to find us faithful. My prayer is, friends, today that we would not run from the cost of obedience to him, but that we'd simply trust him in faith. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that today we're reminded of your great acts in history to come and rescue us. And we're reminded, Lord, that you used ordinary people and that you gave them the grace and the faith to trust you enough to carry out these things. Lord, we pray that for our lives as well, that 2,000 years later you would do the same work in us, that you give us the same heart of trust for you, for your good plans, though we may not understand them all, that you fill us with faith as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.